This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. Hello and welcome to episode 114 of We Are Going Up. I'm Mark Crossley. I'm a little croaky today. Alongside me is a man who's been in, of all places, Shrewsbury this yes, weekend. Absolutely. David Cameron Walker is here. Were you up there paying your respects to Graham Turner? <laughs> I made a pilgrimage. He's not died, <laughs> by the way. No. He's still with us. No, no, I wasn't. I was there visiting, you know, rather mundanely, visiting some older university friends who, of all places, managed to... <laughs> down tours and put their roots in, in, in Shrewsbury. And what's the, Much uh, to my dismay when trying to book a bloody train ticket there. Yeah, or well, come on to train ticket. What's, what's the, uh, the nighttime establishments of Shrewsbury like? Is there a liquid? Is there a club icon? I assume there are, but I, I didn't find them. I shame. did end up in, in a particularly typical Right. Weatherspoons-esque establishment. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Uh, but it was fine. I had a lovely time. And, uh, on and the ch- one thing, can I ask one question to yeah. all uh, Shrewsbury Town fans, residents of Shrewsbury that the, may f- the floor is yours, may sir. To this podcast. In, this, in the town centre, there are a couple of statues I saw. One of Charles Darwin. Brilliant. I know what he, I know what he did. Absolutely. I know what he's all about. Uh, but there's another one. Graham Turner? No, not Graham Turner. Not <laughs> Should yet. Should be. Um, and it's just of a man just standing there proudly... And I went up to it to see what it was, and all it said on the thing, there was no plaque or anything, just Clive. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. What does he do? Who's Clive? That is, that's the title of the show right there. Who's Clive? <laughs> it's not. But yeah, let us know if you're a Shrewsbury fan. At Wanky Podcast. Who is Clive in Shrewsbury Town Centre? We'll find out next week. Um, so uh, the train journey there, I believe it kept you from finding out that the Watford would tune up at Manchester City in the FA Cup. Actually, it was nothing to do with the train journey. It's just, right. just being in the wilderness. In oh, you're phoning yeah, it. No signal whatsoever. So I, I did get word that we were, that we were tuning up, and I, but I wasn't quite sure how long it had gone, what was going on. I didn't know the team lineups or anything. I just knew the score, and I just... Said to my friends who I was with, come full time and we're back at home. Well, we, we, will be di- we, will, we will have lost this. We will game. be discussing that with a Watford legend later in the show. More on that in a sec. First, though, uh, speaking about train journeys, would have been the obvious time to listen to your audio book, wouldn't it? If you'd have gone yeah, to audible.co.uk slash going up. Uh, get on there right now. Uh, you can get a free audio book of your choosing and you get a free one month trial. All you need to do is go to this specific URL, audible.co.uk slash going up, and click through via there. You get a whole month free and you can cancelled before the end of the month's end if you don't want to pay after that. Audible.co.uk slash going up. No Carl or Jim this week. We should say happy birthday to Jim for over the weekend. Happy birthday to the big man. Leicester won again for him. We'll talk about them later. Graham Turner, as we just mentioned, and Paul Ince as well have lost their jobs this week. Paul Ince was sacked by text. I'm not sure if Graham Turner can even text, but we'll talk about that a little bit later on. We'll also uh, talk about Walsall and Oldham hitting five in League One, plus the FA Cup fourth round, uh, which uh, nearly did have its biggest shock courtesy of Watford tunnel up at Manchester City before losing 4-2 the one and only Lufa Blissett Watford's all-time top scorer all-time top appearance maker I believe is going to be on later he is one of the uh, football ambassadors back in Prostate Cancer UK's Men United campaign joining the fight against a disease which kills one man every hour in this country so we'll speak to Lufa later but first we are going to start in League 2 this is a bit of an odd story Chris Wilder has left the club currently 6th in the division and chasing promotion Oxford United for the club bottom of the division six points off safety and fighting to avoid
avoid relegation. Northampton Town, from the outside, it does seem one of the more curious managerial switches, especially when Wilder had been at Oxford for over five years working uh, to get the club promoted to League One. Let's find out more about it right now. On the line, we've got uh, David Pritchard, who is the chief sports reporter for the Oxford Mail, and Jefferson Lake, who is a football writer for the Northampton Chronicle and Echo. We've had both of them on the show before, and we thought we'd get them both on together to talk about a strange old few days. Jefferson, let's start with you and Northampton, if we can. The club have been uh, on the lookout for a new manager for quite a long time now. Uh, they've finally got their man, but it's uh, it's taken a while. Yeah, I, I added it up earlier. I think it's 36, 37 days since Eddie Birdroid uh, was sacked. December the 21st, he left. Uh, and obviously with the Christmas period being pretty busy with fixtures, it feels like a bit longer than that because there's been a lot of games. So yeah, it's, it's dragged on a little while, but it's done now and sort of just in the nick of time really with the transfer window about to close on Friday. David, I was watching the, the press conference earlier, Chris Wilder, being unveiled as Northampton manager. And it was very interesting looking at it from an Oxford point of view when he was asked about his reasons for resigning and his reasons for swapping you know, a club in Oxford who are right in the automatic promotion picture to the bottom of the Football League with Northampton Town. And he alluded to some personal reasons and, and the fact that he just felt like he needed a new challenge. He used the, the, the phrase that perhaps the car was driving itself uh, at Oxford. Uh, are you surprised by these comments? Um... Not really. I think there was a sense that perhaps, you know, he had been there for five years and you always there's always that risk that things could go a little stale. I think really the the, the main reason, which, you know, he said all along and as he said when he was linked with Portsmouth last month, is security. And, uh, you know, to, to be offered a three and a half year deal, I don't think there'll be many managers in the Football League who are on a longer deal than that. And, you know, with his, um, you know, he had no security at Oxford past, May, I think there were there were several reasons, but I think that was that was possibly the the most kind of pertinent one. Do you think perhaps that, given that as you said his future was uncertain beyond beyond the end of the season, uh, given the fact that Oxford haven't you know managed to get promotion despite being in the picture of various levels over the last few years, do you think perhaps that he he wasn't truly deep down confident that he could get this team over the line and, and anticipating that maybe would mean his time at the club would come to an end anyway? Well, I think. I think it, it was, you know, a bit the elephant in the room that if if they didn't go up this season, I, I, I can't, I couldn't have foreseen him being offered a, a new deal. I, I think they're they're in a great position to to make the top seven. Um, I'm I'm not sure if you're a betting man, you, you'd uh, you'd have them for automatic promotion, although it's very tight at the moment. So possibly he looked down the line, and um, he wasn't a hundred percent sure he could he would be in League One next season. So that that possibly changed his thinking a little bit. Jefferson, just to switch it back to uh, to Wilder going to Northampton, I'm a bit intrigued by the fact that they've obviously he's done well in in uh, League Two without getting promoted, but he is a manager who's been promoted from the Conference. Yeah. Do you think they've bear yeah. that in mind given the current league position that Northampton are in? Yeah. Well, I think I mean, although no one no one will say that publicly, I'm pretty sure that would be a factor. Um, you know, a knowledge of of that level and what it takes to get out of that level. I think today, you know, he, he, he did mention uh, when I spoke to him about how difficult the conference is to get out of as a league, and I think that will form a lot of um, a lot of his early conversations with the squad. You know, he'll stress to them just just what a difficult and a, and a tough league it is to play in and then be successful in. And you know, I think he will sort of openly challenge them to say, you know, do you really want to be a part of that? And perhaps use that as a motivational tool to the, to the squad in the immediate future. But it's yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because he's kind of done well at both levels. Uh, Jefferson, I'm sure Chris Wilder would 
perhaps optimistically be looking at it the other way though I mean this is a club Northampton who last season were in a playoff final they they've been just as you know they've had just as many kind of near misses at promotion as Oxford have had over the last uh, however many years and they I guess Wilder would see Northampton as possibly even a slightly bigger club than Oxford down the line and if the three and a half year deal he'd have ambition to to get Oxford up to the other end of the division and maybe further yeah well I think the, the three and a half year deal is a massive um that brings a massive level of security, doesn't it? It's, he can treat it completely as a project once this difficult initial period has been has been overcome and, and he's kept them in the league. Um, yeah, it's it's a funny one. I would always say that Oxford is a, is a bigger club than Northampton, without without a shadow of a doubt. Really, I mean, you know, bigger fan base. Uh, I imagine Dave might agree. <laughs> yeah, well, I think yeah, yeah, well, you look at yeah. the temperatures and things like that. Yeah, but I, uh, but interestingly, today he sort of said. Um, and the perception within football that Oxford always had a lot of money to spend, and he, he said he's always had tight budgets there. Um, they probably know more about that than I would, but I think Northampton have spent a lot of money this season. I think they've got the fifth highest budget in the division, and obviously are 24th in the division, so they've massively underperformed. But it's kind of you know, it must be depressing to be a Northampton fan this season because you're back to to square one again. You know when Aidy Boothroyd came in uh, yeah. after Gary Johnson's uh, disastrous spell at the club, it, it was exactly this sort of position. Boothroyd managed to to save them, gets them into the playoffs the next season, and then out of nowhere this season it just all the, the bottom falls out and it all goes horribly wrong again. And you know how are Northampton going to move forward and get some stability so in 18 months time they don't find themselves in the same position Wilder's gone and someone's <laughs> having to come in and save them from relegation yeah. again well so it's an interesting question isn't it i mean on you know on the on the CVs the past two managers that appointed AD Goodwood and Gary Johnson you'd say excellent excellent choices and again with Wilder um you know all three of those managers their appointments have gone down superbly with the fans um, probably the three Wilders, the least superbly, I would say, funnily enough. But you know, you kind of they've done everything they can really to get the right men in charge, and it's just not really worked. You're, you're dead right when you say this season's been massively depressing, especially after you know what happened last year, where everyone thought they would just kick on and build on that playoff final, and it's it's gone the other way. So yeah, in terms of avoiding history repeating itself, I really don't know. I mean, I think they've got. A, Hopefully, this, the, the new guy will be a good pair of hands. You know, there's money to spend, and he'll be given time to do a job. Perhaps it needs to be stressed to the fans that we want to see this guy see out his three-year contract. I think he was five years at Oxford, five years at Halifax before that. So he's someone that does spend long periods at clubs. And I think if they stress from the start that this is going to be uh, a long-term arrangement, then perhaps people will have a bit more patience. Maybe in the if it doesn't go too well in the initial stages and and they'll be able to ride out you know, various storms at various points. But yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting one. If, if the board had the answer, I'm sure they would, uh, they would have put it into action by now. It's also interesting that he's appointed Alan Neil as his assistant at Northampton. Now, when Alan Neil took over at Michael Berry about five years ago, he brought in Chris Wilder as his yeah, assistant yeah. initially, before yeah. Wilder left to go to Oxford. But if you're a Northampton fan, and like you just said, it's probably the least of those three, the least uh, sort of most enthusiastic they've been about any of those candidates. To see the assistant being the manager of the other team in the relegation zone, yeah, um, can't be that inspiring either. No, this, that's, a, that's a strange one, really. I, I don't really know the full the full story of what happened at Torquay, but I mean he's been reasonably successful in other places. Um, I suppose when you're an assistant, it's completely different to being the the main manager. He was at the game on Saturday, so he will have 
probably a better knowledge of the of the squad than than Wilder himself at this point. Yeah, that's uh, it's, a, it's a strange one, isn't it? Because you're basically getting two managers there for, for one. You know, so he only left Torquay sort of the back end of last month. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that dynamic works. Definitely. Some might say you're only getting one and a half managers, but um, <laughs> uh, David well, Alan Neil's a very big lad, so I mean, almost <laughs> maybe getting two and a half. Managers. Although, although in in Neil's defence, I have seen some things recently from him saying he he prefers the coaching side of of, of managing yeah. to all the rest of it the transfer dealings the, the running of yeah. the club so maybe, maybe this will be uh, a better fit for him but David just to bring it back over to Oxford mm. Oxford are now without a manager but in a, you know, usually when you're without a manager it's because you're, you're failing because you're at the bottom of the league within threat of relegation but Oxford as we've mentioned are right up the top of the top of the league sixth at the moment game in hand but uh, you know it's so tight up there automatic promotion is very much uh, on the table as it stands where do Oxford go from here? What sort of person do they need to appoint? Is it a continuity to keep things ticking over or is someone from the outside going to come in and try and push them on? Well, for the moment, Mickey Lewis, who was Wilder's assistant, is in charge, caretaker charge. Amid all the sort of confusion that was Saturday night, the chairman did speak at length well, about... Um, sorry to interrupt, but can you talk us through that? Because, yeah, this probably needs explained for anyone who hasn't really closely followed the story of this move. So, well, it was an extraordinary few hours, really. So, um, um, Oxford beat Torquay 1 0 yeah. on Saturday with Chris Wilder in charge. Yes. Uh, bef- the day before, uh, well, Thursday, it broke. I mean, it was, it's Jefferson's fault, really, because they broke a story <laughs> saying that Northampton had approached a fellow League Two club. Um, and once Justin Edinburgh made it clear it wasn't them, um, Chris Wilder was an obvious target. Um, we found out that it was Oxford who were the target, and. Uh, on Friday, he uh, declined interviews and put up Mickey Lewis for um, to do the press. It was clear something was going on behind the scenes, but uh, nothing happened until after the game Saturday when uh, all we knew uh, standing in the tunnel was um, Mickey Lewis had come out and had sort of batted uh, away you know, questions about what was going on. Um, we hung around for about an hour and then the chairman came out and um, said that it was his understanding Chris Wilder had resigned, but he didn't have a resignation letter. Um, but he sort of gave uh, quite a lengthy um, press conference um, sort of saying that Mickey Lewis had been appointed caretaker and this is the options next, only for us to drive home to find Chris Wilder releasing a statement saying he hadn't in fact resigned, at which point most um, Oxford fans sort of brains melted. Uh, and then it, it, there was a long, long sort of day on Sunday where there was a lot of sort of background uh, negotiations and things. And finally, at 10 o'clock uh, Sunday night, it, it became clear that uh, Chris had resigned and they'd agreed compensation. But I mean, it was an absolute sort of mess Saturday night. And um, it did look like it could be heading for sort of quite a nasty legal battle so uh, I think we can all be grateful mm. that that has been avoided because I don't think that would have um, benefited either party But going forward in terms of the next manager then? Yeah so uh, for the moment Mickey's in charge and he, he do, has do you think he'd be? Yeah, do you think he'd be a realistic candidate to get it to the end of the season? Uh, well one of the options uh, Ian Lennigan said after Saturday was they would look at the potential of an interim manager until the end of the season and then they'd sort of assess in the summer and um, one option is Mickey Lewis as a caretaker I think it all depends on how the next couple of weeks go they have a lot of games coming up and I think United will want to do this correctly to do this properly with a sort of full interview process so I think Mickey Lewis will have four or five games at least uh, and if they 
continue, you know, and, and the, the, the games they've got coming up, there is the potential for a decent run. If that happens, I think there, it will be very tempting to keep him in charge till the end of the season, and then then they'll see what happens. But as you say, it's quite an unusual position for a team to be managerless in. So I think it will attract quite a good calibre um, of applicant, probably more so than if Chris Wilder had left at the end of the season having missed out on promotion and they would they were just sort of another League 2 contender. Jefferson, I just want to pick up on, on something you, you said earlier, that Chris Wilder will have some funds available to, to strengthen and to bring in some of his own players. M- made that uh, cause some raised eyebrows in, in the Boothroyd household, considering that in the summer you lost to several of your best players from, from last season due to, I believe, the, the need to get the wage bill down, correct me if I'm wrong, and even though there were some loan players that came in in the loan window this season, the squad was weakened from last year, and yet a new manager comes in and gets the opportunity to strengthen. Surely the old manager would uh, have a bit of a, you know, a cause for, for concern over that. Yeah, there were, I mean, the, um, the budget was reduced between the seasons, but not hugely. Some some huge, some like top earners left. Um, Akinfen were left. Clark Carlisle, uh, you know, players like that who were on good contracts. So it wasn't wasn't a huge reduction. And Bodroid always said he wanted a small, tight squad of uh, of quality instead of quantity. What then happened was that they had about eighteen or twenty senior pros, and about four or five of them got injured. So then he had to keep bringing. Obviously, and then he bring in loan players. So lots of loan players came in, and the squad became a bit bloated at that point. So he did actually sort of spend a fair bit. I think he was quite reluctant to really, really spend. I think there was more funds available if he wanted them. Uh, and now at this point, they're sort of, um, it's going to be a lot sort of more financially prudent to spend the money on players now than get relegated uh, and lose all kinds of, uh, of funding and, and, you know, prestige and stuff. So I think, um, yeah, I don't know, I don't know what um, AD Boudreau would think about that. But um, yeah, they definitely need to, need to, finance a few signings definitely can I just say one of the the best things about this by the way is that if you um, if you see how tight this division is and how close it is the race for promotion how close it is down at the bottom the last day of the season (laughs) if you think about it Northampton could be fighting to stay up on the last day Oxford could need a win to go up and this is just the way football works the last day of the season uh, May uh, the, uh, the third, three o'clock, Northampton versus Oxford United. Brilliant. Would you believe it? And someone even said, um, imagine, although I just think this is hugely unlikely, imagine if Eddie Boothroyd got the Oxford job. Uh, and he, <laughs> he was the one who was responsible for Northampton's relegation, ultimately, uh, which would be an incredible Hollywood-type storyline, but unlikely, I think. And So, guys, what, what do you think of the chances of, of your both teams? Come to David first. What do you think of the chances of Oxford uh, doing it finally and getting up into League One? I think they have a, an excellent chance finishing the top seven. I think they will need to overachieve between now and May to, to get into the top three um, and potentially spend a bit of money to, to get in a bit of quality up front because I think uh, the likes of you know Scunthorpe and Chesterfield have a bit more than them at the moment. Um, once you're in the playoffs, uh, who knows? But yeah, I think they've got this is their best chance of the um, four seasons they've been back. Okay, and Jefferson, what about Northampton? Six points off yeah. safety at the moment. Can they uh, turn that round under the uh, the new manager? It's a it's a huge ask. It, I mean, the the point is there's, there's t- sort of twenty games left, I think now. Um, so there's plenty of games to go. But the problem is, is there's only what three or four days left of the transfer window. They need to sign players at least until the end of the season. They can't go in with loan players. Well, when they got relegated from League One in two thousand and nine, I think it was. 
uh, they were awash with loan players and there was a perception that those loan players didn't care and they all went back to their championship or Premier League level clubs at the end of their loans and Northampton got relegated. So they really can't afford to go down the road of the loan players. It's going to be crucial what happens in the next few days. That will give them, in theory, if they get the right players and they'll have the squad to compete over the remaining 20 games. But the next few years, few days is absolutely vital. I think that the manager manager they've got in is the, the best they could have got. Um, so that's a major positive. But the squad needs a lot of work. I mean, you could make the case that they need seven or eight new players in the first 11 quite easily on the basis of the last few games. So it's going to be, I think it'll go right to the wire. It might even go to the Oxford game. <laughs> but I think probably just about do it. OK. Nice to talk to you guys. Thanks very much no for coming on, Thanks both of you. Go and have a rest. I know you've had a busy few days. <laughs> yeah. uh, that is uh, David Pritchard, Chief Sports Reporter for the Oxford Mail and Jefferson Lake, Football Writer for the Northampton Chronicle and Echo. Next, something slightly different as we're joined by a Football League legend and a man who scored over 200 career goals. So, prostate cancer kills one man every single hour in the UK and unbelievably 10,000 each year. This season, as the official charity partner of the Football League, Prostate Cancer UK have been asking fans to put aside their differences and become men united in the fight against the disease. Firstly, to get the message out there. Secondly, to support those men affected by it. And thirdly, to raise funds to find more reliable tests and treatments for the future. Men United is about men standing together from the terraces to the pub and beyond to say that quite simply men deserve better. You might have seen the new uh, TV advert which premiered uh, during the Bournemouth-Liverpool game. It was on ITV on Saturday starring Bill Bailey filmed down at the New Den. Uh, Bill is among a number of well-known figures to be back in uh, this campaign alongside the likes of rugby legend Will Carling. You've got Damien Lewis aka Brody in Homeland. You've got Game of Thrones uh, hardman Charles Dancer, Michael Parkinson and there's a whole host of ex-players who are all football ambassadors for Prostate Cancer UK as well and one of them is the former England, AC Milan, Watford and Bournemouth striker Lufa Blissett and we are very pleased to say that Lufa joins us on the show right now. Lufa, pleasure to talk to you. Um, can we start by asking you a bit more about your involvement with Prostate Cancer UK first of all because I know you've been involved with them for quite a few years. Yes, that's right. Um, first sort of joined the campaign when they partnered with the um, Football League um, what, a year or so ago. And, you know, I was asked if I'd be an ambassador for it. And, you know, when I heard the statistics and I think like so many people, when you hear them for the first time, you are shocked and horrified by it. And, uh, you know, I thought I could, whatever I can do to help to raise the awareness and, and get men starting to think seriously about their health, um, you know, it'd be worth doing. Um, and those statistics are, are indeed quite horrific, aren't they? One in eight men will develop prostate cancer at some point in their lives. And, and that increases actually to one in four when you're talking about black men, which is astonishingly high. It is. It's incredible. You know, and as yet, they don't know the exact reason why that is. So research is very much needed. But in the meantime, we just need to get um, all the myths and all these scary things that men are, you know, or ignorance more than anything else, get rid of the ignorance that we all have about, um, you know, these sort of diseases and the way these tests are done and really, you know... It's about saving your life, and if you're going to be uncomfortable for 10 minutes through a, an inspection or well, that sort of thing, it shows you know it's well worth it because at the end of the day, if it saves your life, it's, uh, it's 10 minutes well spent. As Mark said, you've been involved in this campaign and also many other charitable uh, causes for, for many years throughout your career. And How powerful do you, do you think football can be in helping reach men in, in issues like this? Do you think it really does make a genuine, genuine difference? 
it makes a huge difference. The thing is, I mean, football supporters will chat about football all day. <laughs> so if we can introduce this into the equation when they're talking about football, because there's see, it's made around football and they all sign up to become um, you know part of Men United. And I believe we've got in the region of already in excess of more than 15,000 people or whatever already. Mm. We've only been going about five days. So it shows that the word is getting out there and people are taking it on board. So that is absolutely fantastic news. So football is great for that because you talk about football and you talk about this, which is something that men, you know, that's not something we're very good at. And all being well with the link with the football and the fact also that Millwall obviously now wear it on their shirts and you begin to see it more and more and people are not looking at it as that scary word quite so much as it once was. So just like what the ladies have done, hopefully we'll look at it in the same way and we'll start to make sure we get examinations and look at ourselves and all being well, you know, we can end up saving quite a few lives, which is really what this is all about. So, uh, yeah, menunited.prostatecancerUK.org is the website. You can take the test there and see how much you know. And, uh, Lou, you're actually doing another big uh, charity cycle. I know you did one last year, didn't you? London to uh, to Amsterdam. And you're doing right. one just before the World Cup again this summer. Yeah, we leave on the uh, on Friday the 6th of June from Lake Norrin's ground, actually. We're riding from there this time and going to the Amsterdam Arena, which we hope to get there sometime on the Saturday. So, And how was that about, How was that last year? Did it all go oh, well? It was, it was great fun. It was absolutely brilliant fun. The usual things, you had punches and bikes breaking <laughs> and all sorts of stuff as you go down there, you know, one of them. But uh, it's all part of a part of it, and it was really well-supported. All the guys that came along, and, and girls that came along, it, it was an absolutely fantastic ride. And... Um, I think we've already more than doubled the numbers from last year, so it, it, I think it shows that people are, you know, being to get on board, and it's um, it's it's hopefully going to be proved to be very successful, and you know the numbers can keep growing from year to year because we do have a lot of fun, and you know the camaraderie while we're going along, and you know, that sort of thing is very very good, and uh, yeah, it's hard work the first day because you need to cover about 90 odd miles up on the first day. But um, the next day is quite easy because it's flat in Holland, and that is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> what sort of what sort of nick are you in, Luther? You you're at the front of the pack, or are you hiding right at the back of the peloton? <laughs> oh no, I'm, you won't find me near the front. I tell you what, look, last year there was a group of lads, and they were absolutely amazing. They left Wembley Stadium, and we never saw them again until we got to Harry. <laughs> and they had been they got there around about one o'clock. I reckon they got the train on a Sony afternoon. <laughs> you know, because we stopped for lunch and other stops all the way. But they didn't stop. They just gunned it all the way there. I mean, they absolutely ripped it, you know, So because those boys are serious. And um, I mean, hopefully they'll be doing it again. And I'm sure they'll try and beat the record they did last year. So there's all these little things going on. Yes, we want to get as many people there together. But if you're one of these that just want to get your head down and do it as quick as possible, you know, you do it. Because um, not everybody's going to do that. It's all different abilities. And the idea mm. is hopefully, you know, we get the majority of people arrive at the same time. Well, yeah, it'd be great to get as many representatives of all the different uh, clubs, uh, sort of fan-wise, that we can get this summer. So uh, that is prostatecancerukorg slash Amsterdam if you want to uh, find out more and sign up uh, for the big uh, the big cycle this summer. Now, uh, DC, obviously you're a big what fan. I'm sure mm. you've got some questions for Lufu uh, at the Etihad on Saturday, which you weren't. No, I, unfortunately, I wasn't there. And I mean, I'm, like most uh, football fans and Watford fans, perhaps we had a little bit more hope than most of the public gave us but I certainly didn't expect to find ourselves 2-0 up at, at half time um, what a fantastic first half performance from Watford it was you know I, I, you know, I stood there and the boys came out and they got on with the game and you got almost from the kickoff this feeling that um, perhaps the the Manchester City players thought we've got Jekko and we've got Aguero up front 
you know, it's just a matter of time before we all we get a goal. We haven't really got to go too hard at this. And, you know, they never really got going. They never really settled. And, you know, the credit to our players. They took the game straight to them, you know, and went straight to the heart of them all the time. And very early on, we had a chance of scoring, um, which we didn't take. And, uh, you know, then finally a super little one-two, which was um, Troy slipped the ball around the corner and uh, Fernando ran onto it and, um, you know, put it away. And it was 1-0, you know, absolutely amazing noise from the Watford supporters at the other end. I mean, absolutely incredible. All the way through the game, again, just like last year, they're phenomenal supporters all the way through. And then when the second one went in, you know, it was like, goodness me, someone pinch just wake me up. Because this is, this is Man City, the team that absolutely annihilates everybody that comes here. Uh, you know, we more than held our, held our own first half, did really, really well. And, you know, missed one or two other little half chances, which we probably could have done a little bit better of. Because I think if we'd gone in 3 0, I think the tie would have been over. Definitely would have been over if we'd gone in a 3 0. Um, you know, but I said to one or two people around us, you'll make you'll make two changes at half time, definitely. And then he'll probably make a third one 10, 15 minutes into the game, which is exactly what he did. But company coming on made all the difference. He just gave them that reassurance at the back. So the back door's now locked, lads. So come on, let's go and play their stuff. And, you know, Aguero has been a threat pretty much all through the game. You know, he got going and nicked the first goal, scored a super second goal and, you know, um, was there at the back post ahead in the third. So it was, uh, it, it just wasn't meant to be um, at the end of the day. But the lads, first half especially, were fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. Not a bad substitute to bring on, is Vincent Company. Um, but it was, it was, you know, even though the final score was, was 4-2, so close to getting the replay, and you know, I really felt for for Jonathan Bond, who who's been you know a really promising start to his Watford career, playing some games last season and getting in the team a bit more this season as well, and you know, let that one through his legs from Kolarov. Yeah, um, we see that, you know, and you say oh, young, you know, that sort of thing happens with experienced goalkeepers. You know, mm. everybody makes a mistake at some stage. Unfortunately, when a goalkeeper makes one, the ball usually ends up in the back of the net, where outfield players and whatever we tend to make and we tend to make mistakes more frequent than goalkeepers do. So it's, uh, you know, he had a good game. He did what he had to do. And really all the goals, apart from that one, you know, he had nothing he could do about all the other goals. So, you know, yes, he's got to be proud of what he's done. He'll be disappointed with that one. He let it, but, um, you know, because that's just easy. You know, he is a very good professional and he's very proud about, you know, being a goalkeeper and, you know, goalkeepers never like to see the ball go by him. So I, I, I've got no, I've got no problem with him at all, and I'd stick him in goal any time because I, I think he's a good goalkeeper. Lisa, how would you, uh, how would you sum up the season from a, a Watford perspective this year? Because obviously, so close to the Premier League with the playoff final at Wembley, it's not really quite been the same story so far this year, has it? No, it hasn't. Um, you know, I and mean, we started the season well enough. You know, there didn't seem to be too much of a hangover from the disappointment of uh, of last season, and we started. Not, not too bad. But then, you know, we just uh, had one or two injuries. I think the squad proved not to be strong enough because we didn't have enough bodies in to play in crucial areas, especially when we lost the likes of Troy. And, you know, we lost Anya, we lost um, Abdi at a time when the team just wasn't able to cope with it. And I think that's what really set us back the way it did. And, you know, obviously what ended up with that was Gianfranco leaving, which, um, you know, was a bit of a shame because... What he had actually created at the time he was there was something quite special, and every now and then you see splashes of it coming back. So that was a bit sad in itself. But the fact that we didn't, we, you know, we had that period where it just didn't quite go well. We just haven't quite then been able to re, rekindle that confidence, that belief, you know, that we played with last year. So we, you know, they're earning that now. But um, you know, um, 
Pepe's come in and he's been he's been amazing, very entertaining on the touchline. <laughs> you can see the traits uh, of you know the Italian get it, get the defence sorted first, and then we we think about going forward. You know, and we look more organised at the back. We look stronger, more solid. Um, you know, and I think we've just got to hopefully now start to get that confidence from that. Um, you know, I mean, Man City is going to go by. If you believe the back is shut and bolted, I think you can relax and play your stuff more when you go forward, which I'm hoping is going to be the case for us from, from here on in. And I, th- I think, yeah, you're certainly right in terms of uh, Sanino's coming in and the defence has looked a lot more solid. We, we've drawn a quite a few games, obviously like to win a few more, but we don't. We look a lot harder to beat. I mean, last season we were fantastic going forward and you know there were games where we'd win 3-2 and we, we, we'd outscore uh, the opposition despite our defensive frailties at times, whereas this season we weren't scoring uh, you know enough goals and those goals were still going in at the wrong end for us. So, he sorted out the defence and just needs to start working on the, on the forward play now. Yeah, we do. But, you know, we must never forget that we had, the, the, you know, inferential players last year that helped us to have that real threat going forward. Yeah. We're not, no longer in, as part of the club. You know, you had um, Vidra, for one thing, Matthias Vidra at the front. He was that one, very direct, very quick. And all he saw was goal chance to shoot, chance to get on the end of the thing. And he was the one that looked to break the back line of the opposition at every opportunity. And that gave you an extra string to your bow. We had um, Nathaniel Chalabai in midfield, who was the one good playmaker, moved the ball quickly, slowed the game down, you know, ran the game a little bit by the way he played. Big loss in there this season, not been there to do that. And then um, Alman Abdi, when he got injured early on, you know, without him, he was the one, a lot of the work he does is on scene, but, you know, it was well rewarded last year by having given him player of the season. But he, he does things, but he just arrives in the right place where he needs to be, especially when you're going forward mainly. And he's always in the right place to pick that ball up and set the attack going or get on the end of it himself. And, you know, we've really been lacking one, those sort of crucial three players mainly this season. That's where we've been a bit short and really it's on the firepower um, side of the team. And just finally, Luther, um... A lot of people, have, uh, outsiders looking in uh, at Watford since since the takeover last summer, have had various opinions on whether it's a good thing for the club, whether it's a good thing for English football with all the lone players and 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 the dealings with Udinese and Granada and the Pozzo family. And you know we're we're nearly two years into it now. We're into our second manager, into the second season. How do you look at the whole thing in terms of Watford's future? Do you think it's a good thing for the club? And you know, are we in good hands? Are we in a good position uh, going forward? And do you think Watford are still, you know, do they still represent everything that we love about Watford in terms of the young players and, and the spirit and of a family club? I think you look at um, you look at football in general, and um, especially clubs that now have owners, you know, foreign owners. They have a different philosophy to where they want to play the game uh, and the way they want to run the entire thing. So you know. We had a, we were at a period of time, especially the eighties and tonight, where the club was very successful, and you know everybody was it was a different club, it was a different time, priorities were so much different. When you have a Premier League which has the sort of money um, washing around in it as there is, everyone focuses on getting in the Premier League, and it, they sort of almost look beyond all the other things, and it's only that end goal is what people are looking at, and um, you know Watford at the moment is in that respect, aren't greatly different to many other clubs. You know, they're looking at, if we can get the Premier League, we can do this, means we can upgrade the stadium, we can um, get better players, we can do this and the other, because it's a means to an end. But getting there is very, very difficult. And I think that the way that um, we're doing at the moment, I, yes, we would love to see more young players coming through, but, um, you 
know, how many are you really going to get? Even if you look through the time we've been there, you know, we get maybe one per season. One a season is not going to be enough to get you where you want to go. So you're always going to have to look to buy players and bring them in. So, you know, the way of doing it is getting almost ready-made players from Udinese or from Granada or that sort of thing. That bridges a gap while hopefully through your academies and whatever, you know, you can develop and bring one or two more players through. So it's it's one of those double-edged swords things, you know. Um, if you want to be where you want to be, then, you know, there are sacrifices, if that's the right word for it, to be made. And we have to accept that it's been done slightly differently. And um, as long as the club as a entity is not at risk, which I believe there's no way it is that way with these people. They have, you know, they have come in and they um, they are not risking the club's existence at all in what they're doing. So, you know, I think that is the that is the, the most important thing. Mm. I think is that the club's existence is not in any danger. It's not where you're spending beyond your means on the club. Um, if something was to happen, we'd go out of business because that would just be dreadful, and you can end up in a position like a Portsmouth or something like that. So, I think we've just got as long as um, you know we've got success, we've got we've got the club. Um, and we've got young players coming through through our academy system still, then, you know, it's the modern club, it's the new Watford Football Club that we've now got. And, you know, we should be thankful that we don't have the money worries and that sort of thing that so many clubs do have, which, um, you know, which I think is very good for us. Definitely. Lee, thank you very much for coming on. My Great pleasure. to talk to you. Best of luck with the cycle this summer as well. Hope it goes well. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I'll start <laughs> training another month, so we'll see. <laughs> Don those Lycra shorts. Thanks, mate. That's uh, the former England AC Milan and Watford striker, Lou Fablissi. He was a football ambassador for Prostate Cancer UK. A reminder to get yourself over then uh, to menunited.prostatecancerUK.org. Take the test there. See how much you know about one of the UK's biggest man killers and join Men United. There's also a confidential helpline you can call as well if you've got any concerns about prostate cancer that's 0800 074 83 83 right now though it's time for my club the bit of the show where we give football league fans 125 seconds to tell us all about their side all to celebrate the 125th anniversary of the football league and today the focus is on Sheffield United this is we are going up my club in 125 seconds hello my name's Ian Parks and my club is Sheffield United so Ian do you remember your first ever visit to Bramall Lane very vaguely. I believe it was Wigan at home in the old fourth division, about 1988, roughly. Uh, I can't remember a lot about it, but I know we lost. I was going to say, probably one of the worst memories you've got is at home to Wigan, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's probably the worst memory, actually. Uh, I don't think there's many that come much worse than that one. Which, which brings me on to my next question. Ian, if I was to give you... Is it about Tevez? If it is, we've, we've got there within 15 seconds. <laughs> well, I'm going to give you the opportunity, right? You're allowed to extinguish either Carlos Tevez or Graham Pohl from human existence. <laughs> and they were, they were never around, so... Which one would you? Which one would you take? Comfortably, Carlos Tevez. There you go. I, th- I thought you might get a mention in this somehow. Um, Not that bitter. Let's uh, yeah. Let's let's go the other way then. Talk about your, your best times as a Sheffield United fan. You've seen. I'm sure you've seen plenty of uh, promotions in the Premier League. Of course. What's your best memory as a as a blade? Um, I think. I mean, the whole year in the Premier League last time in the 2006-2007 was great up until the Wigan game, basically. Um, but I suppose as a one-off game, we've had a couple of good ones, but one that'll stick out for a lot of United fans over of my sort of there is the, the game we beat Nottingham Forest in the playoffs in 2003 to get to Wembley yes that was we a were, brilliant game yeah I remember watching it that. was yeah Paul Pesky Slido scored late on and Steve Cabber scored and as a United fan I think the best part about the game was Des Walker scoring an own goal which did certainly help you're not a fan of Steve Cabber I'm not a fan of Steve Cabber absolutely not <laughs> we, we signed him I think in the Premier League season from Sheffield United 
He was terrible. Yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah, because he barely played for us, and I couldn't believe you'd bought him. <laughs> um, so, what is your... Let me think, if you can think back for your long history of being a Sheffield United fan, what is your favourite goal? I think the pesky Salido one in that game against Forest can't be far off. Other than that, Michael Brown scored a good one against uh, against Wednesday at Bramall Lane. Um, I think an Adiak and Michael Tong double at Hillsborough probably comes quite close in the year we went up as well in 2006-2007. Do you remember that when Michael Brown used to be a good footballer? <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> He still picked up about 20 yellow cards a season, but he also scored 20 goals, which helped. Ian, your two minutes is up. Thank you very much. No problem at all. My club in 125 seconds. We are going up. We've got the Football League covered. So we'll have another one of those on the show next week. Right now, though, it is time to uh, start our weekend review and we will start in the Championship. Only four games at the weekend, but Leicester took the opportunity with all their rivals not playing to move eight points clear at the top and they've equaled a club record of seven straight wins with that victory over Middlesbrough, DC. Yeah, slightly very good ball. Uh, first first goal. goal. Yeah, We had a look on the replay a couple of times, didn't we? I, I, at first sight, I... Could have sworn that went out of play <clears throat> on the touchline with David Nugent pulling it back for Vardy. But then if you look and slow it down, it, it is incredibly close. The linesman is on the opposite side. Uh, I don't know where the referee was positioned. So, it, you know, you can forgive the officials for, for letting the, the game play on. They took advantage and it was Vardy at the heart of it again, wasn't he? Absolutely. Now, here's a stat for you. How many penalties do you think uh, Leicester have been awarded this season? Quite a lot, I imagine. Nugent missed another on Saturday. They've been awarded 13 penalties this season Sheffield Wednesday have had three penalties in the last 37 months Jesus so I don't know what that I mean obviously it's not a refereeing thing it's just the fact that Leicester have got so many quick players in and around yeah, the penalty area absolutely yeah when you've got Lloyd Dyer the likes of Lloyd <clears throat> Dyer Jamie Vardy flying through they are going to get brought down another goal for you at the weekend yep for uh, for Derby Patrick Bamford of vicariously a... through Patrick Bamford <laughs> enjoying beautiful left footed finish they've now picked up Derby 37 out of 51 points under Steve McLaren which is obviously excellent Ipswich beating Reading by two goals to nil their first win uh, since last year uh, boxing I think and Blackpool won Doncaster won first game in charge this for Barry Ferguson in caretaker charge because Paul Ince has finally gone we gone. thought he might have gone by the time we did the show last week but he's definitely gone now sacked by text apparently as well uh, the, the right decision do you think from what you read from Blackpool fans yeah I mean I did I mean I'm making the point that maybe they could have tried to tried harder to get rid of Tom <clears> Ince <throat> in the summer as, as maybe as confusing as that would be on the surface just to get the money in that they would have been able to get for him last summer would have been a lot more than they can now, obviously, because he's only got six months left in his contract and they could have strengthened the squad. Perhaps I think the squad is small and they had a good start, but once the suspensions and the disciplinary problems kicked in, uh, you know, coupled with the, the customary odd injury that you're always going to get here and there, <clears throat> you know, they struggle and you can't rely on Tom Ince just to bail you out all the time. He's performed well enough this season, but, you know, like, like last year, I think it was 16 goals and 14 assists. I think something like that, you know, completely carried the team. And it's a big ask to, to ask him to do it again. Uh, and there well, was a, Rimsey might be going to Swansea on loan. Yeah, though. well, it looks like, yeah. Before, I mean, he's going, uh, before Friday. I think they, what, they're, what they're doing, I mean, he's out of contract in the summer. And it is rumoured that, that many clubs, you know, Premier League clubs, one in Monaco, you know, could offer him a huge deal. You know, largely tax-free wedge over there in you know, a lovely lifestyle in Monaco. You wouldn't say no, would you? Um, well, they've lost Thingy as well. Falcao. Falcao. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> First, time so you'll ever. First and last time you'll ever hear them who two mentioned in the same oh, sentence. Well, you never know. Um, but, 
you know, so I think they're going to get some money from though now. They'll, they'll get a loan fee, I think, from now to the end of the season. Swansea looks like the one he's going to. I think Palace are interested as well. There'll, there'll be, you know, no shortage of suitors for, for his signature. And it's about using what little money they do get to, to try and rebuild the squad and give them a chance of, of pushing on and making sure they don't get sucked down into League One. Mm. And I, going back to your original question, was it the right decision to, to get rid of Paul Ince? I, I think on balance it was, because I, I've never been that impressed with him really over the last few years. As, I, as I've said many times, he, he did make a great start to his managerial career, worked wonders you know, at Macclesfield, really. They were dead and buried when he came in, did very good in his first spell at MK Dons. And ever since then, he, he just hasn't impressed me. And, you know, from, from all accounts, from what you hear from the chairman saying, he doesn't seem to be a very hands-on manager. He wasn't there on the day. I mean, in his defence, he, he said he's he, a, a coaching, coaching course. course yeah. But, uh, you know, and he says that he, the, the chairman asked for a list of players who, who they wanted to sign in January. None was given. So I, you don't know whether that's true or not. No. It's, it's one man's word against another at this stage. But uh, I, I'm not surprised that he's gone. And he, he was surprised that he, that he was sacked. And I don't necessarily think he should have been. OK, we'll move down into to League One. Brentford uh, won on Friday night when they beat Gillingham by two goals to one. Marcello Trotter scoring a penalty at that end. Mm-hmm. Put it away perfectly. You've only, you've only done that last season, Marcello. Uh, but yeah, another good win for uh, Mark Warburton. Seven wins and a draw now from his eight games in charge. Uh, but that isn't... Or that wasn't the result of the League One weekend because, well, there was two of them, really. We'll do uh, Walsall first. They won 5-1 away at Notts County, their biggest away win in 17 years. A first-half hat-trick from uh, Fabian Brandy. Uh, they're into the play. Speaking of penalties, they're into the we're play- watching Scunthorpe Fleetwood live as we record <laughs> well, this. Well, you are. I, I'm, I'm reading <laughs> off my script, but yeah. And uh, Fleetwood have just missed a penalty. Is that Schumacher as well? Oh, he never misses pens. We'll come on to, uh, to, to League Two in a second. But yeah, Walsall, we gave him a little bit of a mention last week. 5-1 win at Notts County um, and just when things were looking great for Sean Derry they've lost twice in a week yeah but I, I think some good news for, for Notts County fans despite losing 5-1 to Warsaw their goal scorer on the day Callum McGregor has returned to the club uh, on loan from Celtic there was there was uh, talk of maybe him leaving and, and other clubs were interested in buying him from Celtic but he's uh, he's come back to Notts County so that's a huge boost for them because uh, he's been good for them so far what about Warsaw though can they uh, can they get promoted do you reckon well, absolutely if they, if they keep up the form from Saturday they can they for, for Fabian Brandy um, they find themselves six at the moment I mean, you've got Peterborough imploding well, yeah. uh, around them uh, and then there's a little bit of a gap there backwards to, to Swindon who, who are doing okay Port Vale MK Lons, Coventry behind them so uh, they're in a decent position mm. I think of the top six clubs you know, they're certainly the smallest in terms of budget by quite some distance. You, you know, Brentford, Orient, Walls, Preston, Rotherham, maybe Orient, maybe maybe sort of similar level. But, you know, and they're right up there with, with Rotherham, level on points with Rotherham. So, you know, they've been up there the last few seasons. So I think they're doing fantastic to be in this position and they've got good as chance as any of being in the playoffs. Well, talking about Peterborough imploding, they won against Tranmere last week and we were saying, right, you know, back to uh, back to normality now. Then I think they were 3-0 down, were they? In no time against Notts County. I think they eventually won that game 4-3. I think it might have been a red card in that. Um, and then 5-4 defeat at Oldham at the weekend, having been 3-0 up. Another red card for Lee Tomlin. Uh, it's third in 14 games. And uh, what's that? So seven and nine, 16 goals in two games have been involved in. Spectacular, really, isn't it? I mean, they had such a good start to the season. And things, uh, as we've spoken about in recent weeks, they, they, despite getting a few victories, thing is, uh, uh, things are still all not well at that football club. I mean... Uh, I largely view my I view my Peterborough through a, through a few fans on, on Twitter. One being Adrian Durham, who's never 
never short of an opinion. And there's been scathing of the management of, of Darren Ferguson and doesn't want him to leave, but just wants him to, to pull his socks up and do a lot better. And also John Verrill, who we've had on this podcast yes. a number of times, a slightly more level-headed view of, of the world than Adrian Durham. But he has been, you know, uh, certainly been angry as well this season, which I guess shows you perhaps just how badly things have gone over recent months. You know, they're still, you look at the league table and think, oh, well, they're seventh, they're still right in it. But they, you know, they're falling fast and the momentum has long gone at that club. And you're losing a game 5-4. <laughs> like that to, to hold him. You know, you shouldn't be doing that. You've got to be professional and shut games out. Tomlin, you know, going into the season as their, their best player, arguably Celtic were interested in him in the, in the August transfer window. He stayed at the club, which was at the time you'd think a big boost, but he's got sent off three times this season. You know, he's a senior player. He needs to set a better example than that. He needs to be on the pitch for Peterborough and playing well to help them do better. And he's not been doing that of late. Uh, before we leave League Two, then a quick word about Graham Turner. After about 55 years, he's whatever it is, he, he's gone. And we did, did that big profile, that big special on him a few weeks ago. Yeah. So go back in the archive if you uh, want to find out more about his time at the club. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's gone. He's bowed out with, with typical grace. dignity and grace, yeah. Yeah, hasn't he? I think he's realised that it, they're struggling. It, that they are struggling. They're they need a new voice in the changing room. They need an injection of a bit of a bit of fresh ideas and life into the club. And he he's just not up to it at this time anymore. And you know, no, there will be no Shrewsbury Town fan out there who you know will have a bad word to say about. Graham. Do you know um, who's in caretaker charge there at the moment, Graham? <laughs> Do you know who's in caretaker charge there at the moment? No. It's Michael Jackson. Oh, really? Excellent. Yeah, they brought him back from the dead to uh, to, to look after Shrewsbury Town. No more of that to say. League two. <laughs> um, Fleetwood would fall to a Burton on Saturday. They are playing away at Scunthorpe as we record right now, playing twice in three days. Uh, looking down the scores, the, uh, the the pick of the games, though, just purely for the weather, which was, I mean, I played havoc with every single pitch in the Football League at the weekend, was Dagenham three, Scunthorpe three. And they actually had to take the players off for 10 minutes near the end because the conditions were, were ridiculous. And uh, we saw some vines and obviously the, the footage of Bianca Westwood on Soccer Saturday as well. She had a nice well. time, didn't she? She did. I just want to go home, Jeff was probably my favourite line in it all but um, yeah it's not easy to get games on in that bottom league when the weather's been as bad as it has as it, as it was this weekend not easy to get him on in the second tier for Charlton um, but That's yeah true. there were many watching the highlights of many many games that looked you know there were some postponements and, and perhaps some that maybe even should have been called off and I also got caught in bad weather at the weekend. Oh, yeah. It was a ridiculous, it was one of those moments. This is our in-depth League 2 round, yeah, by the way. I, I, we'll go back to it in a minute. I digress. Allow me to digress for <laughs> a second. I don't think we will go back to it. Um, not much more to say. <laughs> I wish, maybe if there was CCTV, if CCTV footage out there in Shrewsbury Town Centre, I could get hold of it. But I wish I could have seen we this moment Clive. again. Because the, no, we're nowhere near Clive at this point. But the, the thunderstorm and lightning was, was coming down. It was starting to spit a little bit. The, the black clouds were gathering over the hills of Shropshire in the distance. And we could tell something bad was in the air. It like the middle bit in Thriller, actually. It was in the air. And then there was a huge thunderclap. <coughs> and then it, it was just instinctively, we just knew something was, was, was coming. And there was like a big sort of a, a snap sound. And then out of nowhere, just whoosh, hailstones. Like the size of golf balls just fell out of the sky. And within seconds, everyone on this little little crowded shopping street just scattered. <laughs> And into the nearest shop, like doorway, alleyway, pub, everything they could find. And there was about eight of us, and we all went in opposite directions. Nobody Brilliant. knew where anyone was. We're all It was absolutely ridiculous. Right, well, because this is the full programme in midweek, I'm just going to give you the top three. And, uh, in fact, this might even be out of date because of this uh, this game that's going on as we record. Anyway, Scunthorpe, Chesterfield and Fleetwood are the top three as things stand down at the bottom, as we mentioned with Jefferson earlier. Northampton, six points from safety in Torquay. Our second bottom in the FA Cup then. Quick round-up. Um, I 
thought I said it to you off air at the start. It was one of the most boring FA Cup weekends ever because I think. Um, my stats are right. I think it was 12 games, was it? I'm desperately trying to... I've written this down somewhere. Maybe it was nine games where Football League sides played Premier League opposition and there was only two matches in which the, the uh, Football League side didn't lose. So it wasn't a great weekend from that point of view. One of them was Sheffield United, yeah, Fulham, thought, which was a draw, I, I and the other was Wigan Palace, right. which... The other was Wigan Palace, which wasn't yeah. even a shock, really, so... Yeah, I mean, I, I fancied Sheffield United going into that one, and it wasn't too far off in the end. Yeah, and I mean, was it were it not for for Michael Doyle, Michael Doyle being sent off, mm. perhaps they could have got well, over the line. If you look at the the draw for the fifth round last year, I think there was two games that went to replays as well, so it was eighteen teams in it. There was, uh, I think, there was uh, eleven non Premier League teams. There was ten Football League and Luton in the draw this year there's only seven yeah. uh, football league but teams but the draw's not been too bad has it well, in that respect it, it You've got some of the big boys have been drawn against each other that's true and, we've uh, definitely got a football league team in the, in the next round as we well, do we? Yeah. Sheffield Wednesday playing Charlton aren't, uh, is that right yes yeah, Sheffield Wednesday playing Charlton and um, yeah Wigan are still in there they're away at uh, he says off the top of his head I'm Cardiff. not written this. that's right yeah they're right because we have got football league representation in there Brighton is still going they're playing Hull so there's a few teams in there we'll maybe revisit this topic uh, a bit more in, uh, in mid-February when the fifth round, come, fifth round comes around as it were right should we, should we end this uh, well, let's just have a quick chat about Scunthorpe and Fleetwood as we, as we watch okay. it I've been are you, well, you, the TV's behind you so you've been yeah. concentrating hard on the podcast and Luther Blissett and Oxford and Northampton where I've been sort of watching this at the corner of my eye uh, Fleetwood seems to have the better of the first half and it was perhaps typical of, of, of teams at a lower level and they have been playing quite well and they've been creating a lot of chances but nearly every good chance they had in the first half was completely and utterly fluffed because there was no technical quality at the end of the, the good crosses and the good moves to actually cause the keeper any problems. Uh, and they have just missed a penalty. Stephen Schumacher actually was a good save from the Scunthorpe keeper. Uh, Scunthorpe had a, a one good chance in the first half. Uh, the striker Winnell. Is it Sam Winnell? Yes. Uh, a fantastic sort of uh, similar kind of angle to, uh, you know, Kasami's goal for Fulham earlier yes. in the season. That sort of Ambassan-esque volley from the corner of the box just going over, uh, tipped over uh, by a Fleetwood keeper. Um, so it's been a decent game, pretty even. Uh, 20 minutes left. 20 you know minutes left as we, as, we, as we speak. This is like a delayed match update. That match report, when you're listening to this. Big John Park in there, looking as big uh, as ever. Absolutely, right. Do you think that maybe you, the, the, the Fleetwood Town um, marketing people have taken into account their away colours this season and gone for black? <laughs> it is slimming. Just because of Big John. Yeah. It's, maybe, it's maybe why. It's maybe why. Right, that is, uh, that is it for the show this week. There is a full programme in midweek in the Championship. In fact, in league, got? league One and League Two, we have got Mansfield away. Have Yourselves. Well, we got we're playing on Thursday. Uh, we're that? on Sky away at Nottingham Forest. Oh, you are. Oh, which is game. strange. I think we ever played on a, uh, on a Thursday. Well, mid-week. we've got two games, two teams playing tonight as we record on Monday night. You played on Saturday, which is odd. Two games in three days. Obviously, just because yeah, I'm annoyed really because I like going to Nottingham. It's one of my favourite grounds, a city ground. And yeah. I would fancy that on a Saturday. Absolutely. So anyway, full program midweek, full program next weekend in the football league, and um, yeah, we'll be back next week. If you. Uh, um, hopefully I'll have got my voice properly back by this time next week if you want to tweet us it's at Waggy Podcast the website is wearegoingup.co.uk there's loads of new blogs which have gone up there uh, this week which are well worth having a read of is that grammatically correct I think it is uh, you can uh, also go to iTunes please rate and review us on there help bump us up the chart and uh, the SoundCloud page is soundcloud.com slash Podcast. that's your lot for this week thank you DC thank you very much cheers and thank you Luther thank you Luther Luther What a great man. Speak to you next week, everyone. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered.
Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.